Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Shut up. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and today I've got Richard Cohen. Hello. And Michael, Mike, Michael Huber. <laughs> Mike Huber. Only my mom calls me. <laughs> so but I am I'm your mom's, mom's house. house so, uh, <laughs> that's um, all finish those, your vegetables. <laughs> At least I didn't throw in Elizabeth. That's my go to middle name for any kind oh. of full name scolding. <laughs> Um, and but, really, as yes, Richard, sir. I should be scolding. So I don't know where that was directed at you, Mike. I'm sorry. Um, so hey, we're going to do a part two. Um, Bethany and Sam were going to join us for enough for the rest of this conversation of the Can of Worms book, but um, neither of them are able to be here. So you just get these guys. Yay! <laughs> and welcoming Mike, who wasn't able to be part of the, yeah. the part one. So we're looking at this um, Can of Worms book again by Nick Taronis. Fearless Conversations with Toddlers. I'm just going to jump in and and share a quote, and this is on page 77 of the book, that I think um, sort of um, summarizes the thoughts we've had for this part two as we've been planning for it. So, And and if not, we'll just do what we do with other quotes and move on and ignore it. Um, (laughs) So Nick writes, Um, What if a toddler is pre-verbal? Can they comprehend any of these complex questions and topics? What language do I use? How much is too much? What will families think? How do I balance families, values, beliefs, and cultural practices with my own? It was a big turning point for me when I decided that instead of letting myself get bogged down by these questions, I would use them as catalysts to rise to the challenge of claiming the power of my role as an educator, the power to take up issues that matter and to rewrite the story of education in our society. which is a big way of looking at a toddler's question about a worm (laughs) but sort of I feel like encapsulates this this idea that some of us accept and some of us don't that we have a tremendous opportunity to impact generations in an authentic way you know those are words that we throw around a lot you know, the children are our future and all the, da, 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 da. we've got our, you know, we can get our hand in there, but, um, but this real idea that if we can um, tackle some of these complicated things um, authentically and honestly and openly with children that we're working with, um, we may very well see a generation of children who, of adults, a new generation of adults who don't get freaked out about questions about gender identity or don't have to deal with some of the, um, you know, the elements of racism that we're working through now um, and, and can really impact democracy, which I know is something both of you have big thoughts about. So, um, so what do you want, what somebody say something about all that? 
Well, I think a lot of people in our field um, underestimate the power they have in other people's lives and in young children's lives. Um, just because you can't see the fruits of your labor, like democracy or you know whatever that might be, it doesn't mean you didn't play a role in that. And, and I'm here in this field because I believe that our role is incredibly valuable, um, even if we can't always verify that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, when I think about our role, I mean, in a way, it's that, right, that, that idea. Can I trust relationships? What does it mean to be in a community? Yep. Do I have a place? Do I belong in my community? Or am I just sort of there and people ignore me? Or do I get to like use my power and take over everyone else? All of those basic lessons are define what we're, you know, what these children will think of as democracy or as being in community mm -hmm. um, and whether democracy has any part in that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we definitely add to that or um, that's not even the right word. We're a big part of that because we're mm -hmm. the ones who kind of set that tone yeah. Um, regardless, if one kid starts hitting another, what do we do? Our reaction is going to kind of tell them everything of what mm -hmm. the society is supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. And it might not always match what we think society <laughs> should be like, right? If we're not careful or reflective. So can we, can we do a quick um, definition of what we're talking about if, when we're talking about democracy in this context? Oh. Because I can also imagine someone, and I'm thinking again about the gender identity specific parts of this book. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely have um, in my life at one time been this person and know other people who feel like mm -hmm. um, uh, we're getting too liberal and it's a threat to our democracy. And so they're hearing us talking right. about two things that, that don't connect for them, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. um, uh, so maybe, know. yeah, I was, um, Richard and I were just talking while you were sort of setting up about democracy and I was comparing before democracy, there was this idea of the divine right of Kings and whatever the King said was reality was reality, right? That, you know, could wish it and democracy challenged that notion and democracy said that if people are allowed to get information and talk to each other that they can make decisions and that those decisions part of democracy is that it's never set what was decided when the constitution was created isn't what we should be doing in 2021 in fact the whole idea was that um the, the theory behind it was like just enough safeguards, but then letting it change. And so mm -hmm. we shouldn't be thinking the same way we did in 1850 or 1950. And in 2021, even the stuff I'm going to say that I think about classrooms will be different in five years, not because I was wrong necessarily. Sometimes some things I'll probably say, oh, I was really misguided or mm -hmm. um, yeah, I made a mistake, whatever. But a lot of it will just be, oh, I know more now. I know more now so I can do better. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what democracy has. That's the promise of democracy, that it's a process. Democracy is never a set um, outcome. And toddlers are totally all about that. Like, they don't mind that they don't quite get it. <laughs> if you tell a toddler just about the binary, if you told the toddler, oh, um, you know, Jay is now using uh, she. We use she for Jay now. And if it had been he. And toddlers would be, oh, 
okay uh-huh. right like right. no you know no problem you know it's the parents who find out or who might get upset or something mm-hmm. but i think democracy has a similar thing to sort of the toddlers in that sense of they don't they're okay with things changing they're used to learning something new every day mm-hmm. and adults are like no it can't be this because in seventh grade i learned something different so right. therefore it can't be this way yeah so yeah that's my long-winded answer. That's a good one. Thanks. <laughs> Toddlers are the definition of, of um, change, right? Yeah. And, and dynamism. They're just completely in transition in their lives, in any moment, you know, in terms of process versus product. Those little ones are in process 24-7, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I would say I was thinking of, Heather, when you were asking your question um, was, I'm just trying to gather my thoughts here. Um, I would love for your listeners and watchers to think along two tracks in this conversation, kind of as I was just doing listening to Mike and you. One is, okay, these three people are talking about young children, but two is, this could be a, this could very well be a conversation about um, we adults in American society. And this little bit about democracy is, you could totally put our current events into this conversation. So what I mean by that is, you know, I'm thinking about um, some high level leaders in our country who are working very hard to make it so that only some Americans can vote. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, and there's some Americans that they believe don't deserve a vote, shouldn't have a vote, whatever their reasons are. But, you know, as we're sitting here talking about what is democracy, it means everybody gets a vote and then the outcome reflects that, right? And so so I see it playing out in our adult world, but also what I think it means, just building on what Mike and you, were, Heather, were saying, what I also think it means in terms of, and what Nick Taronis, the author of Can of Worms was saying, is underneath everything we've just been talking about is another, found, an even more foundational belief which is that young children are capable, competent human beings. Mm-hmm. They're not sponges waiting to soak us up. They get a vote mm-hmm. in terms of the world of our classroom. They, they, they are just as valid a, a citizen and a vote maker as I am, even though I'm 50 years older than them, right? Um, and so that's what democracy looks like in an early childhood classroom. This morning uh, on Facebook, I saw, I don't know, do you all know, um, and I hope she's watching this, Shirley Devano Rample. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She's an amazing early educator. Yeah, and hi Shirley. Morning, right, <laughs> hi, Shirley. We love you. And I love what you posted this morning, Shirley, because you posted a picture of your family childcare home, your family daycare home, and you had a picture of a camping tent and um, camping supplies, and you said, "I'm all about the yes." The children all wanted to do something about camping. And now look what I've done. I've put up a tent and all these things. That's democracy in action Mm -hmm. in uh, an early childhood setting. What's not democracy in action in a childhood setting is, I know you're interested in playing over there, but I need you to sit down and tell me if you can write the letter, show me if you can write the letter B. Um, And can you jump on one foot? And all of these things I have to record before you go in order to get to kindergarten. Mm -hmm. That's not democracy. Yeah. Well, so, and, and I, I think that a big piece of this conversation about 
about democracy and about our contribution and our place is just the idea that everyone's everyone has a voice and and um, we also all have a responsibility to be open to those other voices not not certainly there are voices i don't agree with and that i wish Mm -hmm. would stop but, but they all in a democracy have that and so if if we're shutting down a child's question because we're more comfortable with a binary view of gender um for whatever reason whether it's just because we're not competent enough to to articulate a different way of thinking or it's just habit or it's um, you know, your just your personal belief, um, or we shut down a conversation where a child's asking a question about another child's hair or tone of, you know, color of skin that all, every time we shut down something like that, it sends a message about the voice, about that other person's voice. Right. And, um, uh, we, I, 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 I'm hard pressed to come up with a good enough reason that that would be okay and wouldn't need to be examined. It's, it's, it's difficult for me to say, okay, yeah, that's a good enough reason to avoid a question that takes you out of your comfort zone about gender, (laughs) (laughs) because that little in the moment, non-reaction or big reaction impacts so much and, and continues to impact, um, so, so, you know, maybe it's, it's difficult, but, um, th- the right thing isn't always easy to do. Yeah. Well, and you know, all of us in this last year and a half, maybe in the last five years, um, have at some point or another on social media or in real life, we have experienced, um, having our voices shut down by somebody else because we're in such a polarized society right now, right? So everyone listening and watching to this knows how that feels and knows that it doesn't sit right um, when all voices don't get to be there. So again, if you believe that toddlers are perfect as they are and as invaluable and as they are, then remember how it feels to be, to have your voice shut down and accord the toddlers in your life with the same respect. And that this brings up for me, because I think this is one of the things that Nick really did brilliantly in the book. And I didn't write down the page. It's around page 26, 27. Uh, Yeah. Uh, um, But I believe he said, no, um, the three kids are washing their hands. It was the superhero part. Right. And they're talking about, I'm a boy Batman. I'm a girl Batman. And the, the one boy is, wait, but he has a penis, so he has to be a boy Batman. And the child's like, no, I'm a girl Batman. And Nick doesn't tell them they're wrong. He doesn't all, he also doesn't tell them they're right. Mm -hmm. What he said is, what do you know about that? Or what do you think about it? I don't have the exact quote because I don't have the exact page, but, um, but you know, it was that thing of he turned it to them and they talked to each other. And he said that he knew in his head that they, they were friends enough that they could trust each other. They weren't just going to start yelling or pushing each other you know because uh-huh. that also doesn't you know that's not democracy either right <laughs> just a, a fist fight isn't democracy what? Um, <laughs> but um but you know thought that they could talk to each other and the one child said i'm a girl batman like my sister mm. and then for that toddler then it was oh okay you know it just it was enough like that he was just looking for a reason and then he got uh-huh. it and it wasn't the reason that Nick would have given. 
Um, but I love that, that he just sort of turned it around. Well, you know, tell us about that. Maybe it was that all yeah. Nick said was tell us about that. So now I have to look in here because he gives like a three-step kind of thing. Yeah, it was before that. Let me find like, it. Right, right before now. that chapter. Yeah. Um, I was using the electronic copy for this. Oh, yeah. I, my yeah. other copy is at home and I'm on the road. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so he, he offers, and this is on page 52, but he offers a, a protocol to help yeah. guide thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's be curious, reflect, engage and expand and innovate and empower. So um, being curious about why does, you know, why, why did that affect me the way it did? Mm-hmm. What might they really be wondering about? even just thinking, where will this go if I stay out of it a little bit, which is kind of mm-hmm. um, what you did. And then, and then considering what did I think was going on? That's the reflect piece. Right. Um, engage and expand what other sp- perspectives do I want to consult and then innovate and empower what next steps can I take? Um, so one of the things we talked about in part one was not having to have the answer, not having mm-hmm. to, to correct or give right. specific information necessarily, which I think is is sort of i'll say empowering but also um sort of comforting for for people mm-hmm. like me who don't feel like i have all the answers or, right. or know what words or you know want to say some don't want to say anything wrong well that's easy to do by just sitting back for a minute right. and even thinking and it, i don't you know this morning through me what do i need to figure out before tomorrow right. when they all come back in with me um, or a, que- a parent you, might ask a question that takes you in a different direction that way. Right. And if you do try to give them answers, you get the kids who start to learn that they don't have a voice, right? Mm-hmm. Giving kids an answer is actually taking away their voice in a way right. when you think about democracy. Yeah. Um, it, because I definitely, some teachers I work with and they like, no, like they don't want to just ask the question and then, but you know, we've been using video so they'll see, oh, I was doing it. And then all of a sudden I got to this point where, oh, well, what color is that? Or what, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it suddenly got to, um, or they, the child said something wrong about a sun dog or something like that. I forget <laughs> what the thing's called. Something, some uh, atmospheric thing that happens with the sun or something. Oh. And the child knew enough about it to say, oh, that tree branch looks like a sun dog. And the teacher immediately went to, oh, do we see sun dogs in the winter or the summer? I'm thinking, I don't even know the answer. And she's like asking this question. But, you know, afterwards, she's like, oh, that was yeah. the wrong thing. I just right? like, oh, so that reminds you of a sun dog. Tell me about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Like give it back to the child. Yeah. And instead, you know, and a lot of it, I mean, I definitely have to work against that. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with um, trying to keep ourselves in the moment. Um, because she might've been thinking of 17 other things that she had to, you know, there's a group of kids were going here, then this happens. And so, you know, just was an autopilot. I think about one day I had, um, this four-year-old who liked to just come hang out in his off in my office with me. Um, and I would work and he would sit and talk and I was just, I was working and just saying, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. And he finally said, I noticed you're not really answering any of my questions. Yeah, why are you this, why yeah. are you just saying uh-huh and um and yeah, it's because I wasn't uh-huh. you know I wasn't in the moment with him and I thought I was being polite but I was being mm-hmm. rude <laughs> that's and, really good uh... so, sort of dehumanizing so but it wasn't yeah. from any evil intent <laughs> you know it wasn't I wasn't intending to to do anything that would offend him but when I stopped and reflected I was that was about me and not about him right yeah exactly 
Yeah, for sure. Um, and sometimes it's about the other kids. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Richard. No, no. Yeah. I just I was going to say I have a, I want to give a uh, an example of what you all have been talking about that has just occurred to me while I was listening to you talk. Um, back at the point that Mike said, just because I think your your nerd listeners and viewers. Um, you know, might benefit from hearing my thought process because they might say, oh yeah, that's, I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. um, so when you all were talking about, um, well, early on, Mike, when you're talking about the two kids and one said, a, 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 um, you can't be a girl Batman if you're a boy or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I immediately, so I'm an old Pacific Oaksian. So I immediately put my anti-bias, my, my antenna went up and my anti-bias bag got pulled out, my bag of tricks. And I thought, well, let's see, how would I respond in that moment to those kids? This is what was happening while I was sitting mm -hmm. there nodding and pretending to listen to you. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I thought, well, I would say, um, okay, so you think uh, boys can be girl Batmans and you think that boys can't be girl Batmans. Um, could you both, um, I would say something like, could you both, is it okay for you to each think what you think and still play? And I thought, well, that's a good anti-bias response. Go Richard, I'm awesome. <laughs> and then I think that a lot, by the way. Yeah, we know. Um, and that you don't have to. <laughs> Fair enough, I think that too. So okay. about Richard or about yourself? About Richard. Oh, about Richard, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, <laughs> oh my God, I've totally forgotten what I said. All this Sorry. information has made me- Can we just play together and both be what we want to be and being proud of yourself? Oh, I didn't ever finish my story. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so then I sat and did what Heather described, which is reflecting, which is a critical piece of probably any profession, but we three can only really speak about early childhood education. And it's the part that often gets missed, um, is to, to take the time to reflect. And so I sat here and continued to pretend like I was listening to you two and I was reflecting. And um, I thought, no, that's a good anti-bias response, Richard. And by the way, I hate people who refer to themselves in third person. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, Suddenly I am one. Um, Just keep talking before you I forget again. On Mike's point in the beginning and on Nick's point, which is you've just steamrolled the conversation. And what Nick and Mike said was much more eloquent and, and, and uh, simple and to the point, which is just to ask them, what do you think? And let them talk, right? I, I was all like, had my teacher hat on and yeah. I'm going to facilitate this and explain to them what to do. But in fact, it's so much, the, the even bigger leap of faith than taking on the can of worms that I was going to take on mm -hmm. is to say, I don't even need to take it on. I just need to ask them what they think and let them talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, now that's democracy in action. Yeah. And there's um, a good uh, episode of that early childhood nerd, what, Nathaniel, NCN, and who else oh, yeah. is on that one? Katie um, Julie Nicholson. Julie was on And yeah. uh, NCN, did you already say NCN Patel? Yep. Yeah, and then I just said and first thing, but yeah, and Nathaniel, Nathaniel Flynn, mm -hmm. Flynn, and I think it was Nathaniel that made the point of, well, what do you know about that? It was about a cartoon character, right? About yeah. uh, I can't think from She-Ra, but you know, is that well, what what do you like about them? Why are they, what do you like about them that you say that they're your he's your favorite character, or they're your favorite character? It's a non-binary character, and uh, just opening that up because. Like, you know, Nathaniel said, they're like, this was more with school ages, but they're trying to give me a little bit of info so that I can open it up for them. But I don't have to then say, oh, yes, you know, they're a non-binary character. I like that, too. You know, but more like, <laughs> yeah. tell me what you like about that. Uh -huh. Why do you like them? You know, and 
yeah, it's a huge, yeah. and I and definitely learned it from Julie and NCN as well. Yeah. So go back so, to that episode, people. What about, yeah, it is a good episode, except for my parts. Um, that, that iTunes I disagree, but review was, uh, was spot on when they said I'm boring, but my co-hosts are great. <laughs> I'm really hanging on to that review from like three years ago. Um, anyway, so what about if if the conversation wasn't, um, I really like that character. What if it was, oh, that character is weird or something mm-hmm. like that. Like I think about, um, so we had uh, a little girl in the preschool one semester who um, wanted a baby doll and asked someone to hand her a baby doll. So one of the student, the grad students did. And she said, I don't like the brown ones and put it back in the baby bed and got a white one out. Uh-huh. Um, and, and we could have just sat back and let them kind of, and been curious about the thinking or whatever. But I felt like in that moment, and I want to hear what you guys think. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But in that moment, we needed to respond in some way uh-huh. because um, you know, other children were there. We had a couple of grad students who were uh, yep. women of color that I wanted to make sure they felt sort of protected from that, mm-hmm. even though the child was four. Um, so are there are there times when we do need to skip that curiosity piece? And um, I don't know that, that it's an either or question. Yeah. I think you're going into a binary with the yeah. question. <laughs> but there's also no one right answer. It's not like one answer is right, one answer is yeah. wrong. But I wonder about if you did ask, oh, what don't you like about the child? Of course, now you're opening up that they might say yeah. the skin color. Yeah. But you could go further with the conversation, mm-hmm. right? It could be, oh, I have friends with brown skin mm-hmm. um, and I have friends with white skin. And, you know, you could start to talk about the different people, you know, or whatever. You don't want to point out kids or yeah. other adults <laughs> Look in at the that class. One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But or, you know, um, because for all you know, they could have said like, oh, the, you know, there's a, some of the paint scratched off the, you know, it could yeah. have been something totally different. Yeah. Didn't like the outfit that baby had on or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, or it could be, well, oh, good. Cause I like this one and you could have been the, Which well, whatever what we did. I mean, yeah. <laughs> those are the two that would come to me right away. Yeah. But Richard being the more reflective person here may have right. more answers. He's, he's probably thought of the right answer while we were talking. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm just dipping my toe in reflection. I don't really know how to do it. <laughs> um, uh, uh, oh, now I forgot. I just, I, I just, okay, no, I guess so, the reason I so asked I is because say, I, okay. I think there maybe are moments when, oh, yeah. when we need to be more proactive to sure. microaggressions or macro, sure. you know, those kinds of things, sure. but sorry. Go well, ahead. you may even no, have no, no, okay. you know, some words that are, that they heard their parent, you know, yeah. if they have a parent who's racist, they're going to bring it into the classroom yeah. too. So, yeah. you know, yeah. um, we are in India. Really good question. <laughs> well, so here's what I would say. Um, to me, as I, it all comes back to one of the main themes for me of that early childhood nerd, because this topic, this word seems to come up very frequently, as it should. Um, which is relationships. Mm-hmm. And so if I have, um, if one of my greatest priorities and values is building relationships with the children and families in my care and getting to know them each individually so that I know how to scaffold each of them individually, right? In other words, how to respond to each of them in the way that's most appropriate and meaningful for them, then this is my long-winded way of, of answering your question, Heather then I know in that moment, who are the kids that are involved right there? Who said that Mm -hmm. about the doll? 
is this a moment then, do I know them well enough to know that they, it would be meaningful for me to insert myself and start facilitating a conversation about it? Or no, it's better to not interrupt their play and let's handle this through later through a storybook and mm-hmm. an art activity and never even directly relate it to the doll moment. Yeah, right. Um, that innovate and empower the judgment you make. That's all yeah. part of the, the art of, yeah. of early childhood education, yeah. I think. Man, I was just going to bring up, oh, this reminds me of a meme I read, except I think it was yours, Richard, <laughs> from <laughs> yesterday. Uh, reminds uh, you of what? Uh, meme. A meme I read yesterday uh, oh, on Facebook. Maybe you've heard I of them. I, I think it was the Zen uh, <laughs> Facebook page about yeah. relationships are the best, uh, like for classroom management, the, the best classroom management technique is to build relationships mm-hmm. and for all the reasons you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, What's interesting is that that's not what it said, Mike. But I love that that's how you're, no, but I love that that's how your mind remembered it. Yeah, yeah. Here's what it said. It said the most important classroom management strategy is to like the children Uh in your care. Oh my gosh, you're right. And I think that's awesome that your mind remembered like as building a relationship with. Yeah, right. Because it is an active, it's an active thing, right? Liking children has to be active, Yeah. 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 And you're right. It's funny. I knew I had my phone like too far to reach. I was like, oh, what is the wording? But yeah, I went right to relationship. Uh, so hey, far away. Um, what I else? I also think if you yeah. build relationships with the young children in your care, you can't help but like them or right. fall in love with them in a way. Um, you may not always like them moment to moment, but if you know them and they know you, um, your heart just goes to them. Mm-hmm. One of the best advice I ever saw for working with kids who have experienced trauma is to list five things you like about them. Yes. So you can go back to those, even when the times when they're not displaying yeah. any of those. Yeah. Um, right. But, um, but, you know, I think it's really helpful for teachers because, you know, kids know how to push your buttons and the more they do it, if you aren't actively liking the children and uh-huh. figuring out how to like them because if you do that then yeah you build a relationship and all that like they but it's easy to get on the other side and not admit it like you, yeah. you know nobody's going to say well i hate that kid uh-huh. they're going to say oh there's something you know some somebody needs to do something about that kid. we need to get that kid you know therapy or whatever like we need to refer that child yeah, yeah. or um that, that so they don't all. say not like and at, <laughs> at the same time they're like why do i get this kid in my room yeah well, that, that connects to these fearless conversations too, yeah. because if it's a kid that you feel like you don't like saying the thing that's difficult for you to respond to, um, then you're three steps backward, you know, back before, um, right. you even get a chance to, to do anything about it. And, um, there's also an amount of, uh, courage that it, I think it takes mm-hmm. to admit that you don't just automatically like every child that comes through your space. Um, and that sometimes you have to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more proactive about it, but sorry, it's itchy. The dressing is itchy. I know I keep, <laughs> those of you listening, I'm sorry. I've got like a bandage on me from surgery yesterday. Um, so what else, what else did you guys want to talk about in this? I know Mike, you didn't get to be involved at all in the part one. So are there things that you were hoping to be able to, well, I mean, I throw do out here? think, um, I mean, we got into the conversation about the conversation again, which yeah. is good. Um, but um, I don't know. I mean, there is something about that idea that I, I think we might have already said this. So just, you know, 
just for ignore me if I did. Sure. Like that way that toddlers are very <laughs> concrete in their thinking and and um, they may have to explain it in a certain way, like the word boy and the word girl to mean way more than just the word boy or the word girl. And, and frankly, I guess that's what our society does as yeah. well. It's why people have such a hard time when somebody does something. Um, well, specifically when a boy or what the adults think is a boy is doing something that's associated with girls. Mm -hmm. Usually we're okay with the reverse. Right. Um, which I right. think is, I mean, I think that's something to call out for sure. Definitely. Um, but that, um, but that idea that toddlers are still that, that process is they're totally okay with, but the way they do it, it will take reflection and it will take, I think that open-ended really let them talk more because mm -hmm. you're probably not going to understand what they're talking about sometimes. I guess that that's yeah. the like part of it. And in a way, I feel like in democracy in general, we often misunderstand each other because I mean, I'm curious for people who think that, you know, you're either a boy or a girl and there's only two genders and it matches genitalia mm -hmm. i'm curious what why they like what how they know it i guess is part but more importantly why are they worried that there might be other things that yeah. they haven't thought about why is it you know, a what, scary thing why is it scary yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you well yeah. I, I agree but there's a tiny little thing i don't know if this okay. is yeah, yeah. even the right word but um, I think how do they know it is a really important question for early childhood professionals um, because- How do children know it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because before uh, we started recording, Mike was saying um, young children, especially toddlers are concrete thinkers. And some people think that that means they can't go deep. Yeah. And, um, and that, what, what you said in that moment there, Mike really, sparked something for me because I agree with you 100%. And I was sitting here thinking, so how do they know it? They don't remember that they saw someone's genitalia in the bathroom last week. So when they're trying to sort through who's a boy and who's a girl, they're not using that memory. They didn't pay attention. They were busy booping or whatever, <laughs> right? So they don't, they don't know. Um, how do they know it? They know it because of how we put them in lines of boys and girls. Uh -huh. um, how we respond to, how, how we use our language around gender, around all the kids in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. They pay attention to all the kids who play loudly and run around and all the kids who sit quietly mm -hmm. and they start to build, um, you know, models, schemas mm -hmm. um, for gender that are yeah, often yeah. full of misinformation. Right, or how and we complement what we complement factors right. into that too. Mm -hmm. Right. Who do yep. I suggest go over in the dress up area? And who do I say, hey, you should go to the block up area, block area, you'll have fun. <laughs> those are all the things that soak into their little minds that we may not even realize we're doing. And those are the things that, that's why we do have to reflect so that we can be awake and aware and be intentional in those little things because they all add up to those views of the world that young children yeah. have. They didn't come mm -hmm. up with it on their own yet because they're right. thinkers. Yeah. They're looking to the world around them. And we're the ones who, who set the stage for that world. Yeah. yeah. We had a little boy several years ago in one of our classrooms who, um, uh, if he could just wear this long blonde wig that we had in dress up, 
he would participate in anything you asked him to do throughout the day. But if someone made a, you know, a fuss about him wanting to wear that wig, um, which his dad did make a fuss, um, or there was like a, a, a ballet skirt kind of thing. If he could wear those things, he was happy. He could do whatever, but if not, he really, really struggled. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the other children who noticed or made any big deal about that. It was the adults and their reaction that really determined um, which then, of course, sends a message to all those other children. But they were just like, oh, that's just B. He's just, mm-hmm. you know, right. he's happy in a wig. And um, they would bring it to him and, and, and things, you know. But, uh, but the adults who were uncomfortable with it made it really hard. To mm-hmm. me, that goes back to the schemas that I was mentioning a second ago. So we adults have a schema in our head called wig. Mm-hmm. And we have all sorts of association with the concept of wig. And for the most part, we associate it with females mm-hmm. and living in a patriarchal misogynistic society, yay. Um, being a female, <laughs> yay, being a female <laughs> is the worst thing you can be. So some yeah. of us get really excited, really upset because we think our boy is, is um, aligning himself with the worst thing you could be a female. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when you put yourself in the boys through the, see the world through the boys eyes, he doesn't have that scheme yet. He's still a concrete thinker, right? We have no idea why he's in that wig. Maybe it feels like a weighted blanket around him. Yeah. Makes him feel safe and secure. Or maybe he just wants to try being a girl for a while. I mean, it literally could be that. Yeah. But the question, you know, so then it's why is that a bad thing to be? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not. If he wants to be a dragon, he can. Why are we exactly so yes. if he wants to be a girl? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's just imagination. It's just creativity for some. Yeah. And sometimes it's more than that too, which I think is important to point out that because I have a similar story and I was just in Brooklyn and visited my old school where this happened back in the uh, late nineties, I guess, Mm -hmm. but a child always wore a skirt, a a sequined skirt on their head. Yep. And so, and then carried a Barbie around. And in fact, how I finally got them to, toilet train was to make a little potty chair for Barbie (laughs) and then they were willing to sit um but there was one time when these two kids are there's this fuss over in one area I go over what's going on oh they said that um boys aren't allowed in here Mm -hmm. and I look over and see the one child and I was just like well you know what about um what would I'll call oh well let's just call him Richard um well what about Richard he's a boy and uh the girl turns to me one of the girls no I've seen his true self. He's a girl. Oh, boy. And that's where my self-reflection came in afterwards of like, what did I just made this like assumption? Uh And, but I had the opposite thing because in the parents only question was, will they, the child, their child, be able to handle any bullying they might get Mm -hmm. as they go off to kindergarten? Yeah. Um, So that was like a completely different. And what I love too is mom and grandma had like close cropped hair, but you know, he needed the big still, yeah it was the big wig to like yeah. you know the, the shiny wig to be the but i do know that child it it did turn out to be more but that's that whole it starts with imagination mm-hmm. and then like wait yeah. a minute this this is yeah. more than it for me and, and, and we well, don't I have to know today, that in the moment and we don't have to know it the moment. we yeah. we just need to know what could be a sort of damaging response to it without having to know the exact thing that's going on yeah before that i used to well, tell parents you know on, kids pretend to be lions yeah and we don't worry about it because they don't really turn into lions and then yeah. afterwards <laughs> i realized 
But the difference is with this one, sometimes it turns out they figure yeah. something out. So yeah. anyway, sorry, Richard. Yeah. yeah. No, it's okay. I I just lost my train of thought. Oh, um, I was going to say that what you just said, Heather, reminded me of what Nick wrote in the book. Oh, I know. Oh, you, the book. you have to know if what you're saying is damaging or not. Yeah. Right? And one of the great things I thought, you know, as a 56 year old man, who's person who's um, continuing to learn and grow and uh, get my mind around the non-binary world um, and, and truth um, of the society that I'm in. And I still <laughs> struggle with that sometimes. Um, when I, at the beginning of his book, he talks about the girl and boy thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh yeah, I would have said that too, right? Boys have penises, girls have vaginas, blah, 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 blah. And then he reminded me, oh no, actually, you know, like, hey, Richard, wake up. It's 2021. It's actually, uh, there's a lot more gray than that binary you just described. And so I feel like, you know, so this is all in response to what you said, Heather, which is you have to know whether what you're saying is going to, how did you say it? Hurt someone? Probably damage, right. do damage. Maybe. Damage. Yeah. Right. And I think many of us do it um, out of ignorance. Like in that mm-hmm. moment, if I had been there, I would have said that and not realized that it might've hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. But by reading his book and realizing that he realized that what he said could have hurt them in the long run by pushing their minds into more binary thinking than they needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he was able to take a step further than I could have. Yeah. So some of us do that. It doesn't mean we're bad people. It just means we always have that opportunity to go back and think about what we did and do it differently next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I really appreciated about the supporting gender diversity book that uh, you know, Mike, you referred to the episode with those authors mm-hmm. um, is, is that they spend a lot of time in the opening a couple of chapters talking about the hurt that can come and, mm-hmm. um, and, and it doesn't matter what our intention was, mm-hmm. uh, but also that we shouldn't wait until we have a child in our space who's showing yes. us signs that maybe, um, you know, they're, they're, um, uh, you know, feeling more like a boy than a girl or whatever it might be being prepared that somebody might be right. It's like know. constantly working to be able to, um, to talk in those ways and respond in ways and, and plan for things that are supportive because you, you don't know, Yeah, you know, my there may be a child, child who's not showing yeah. you by a wig or whatever. Yeah. Right. My own child is a teenager and is non-binary and they will still talk about in kindergarten, somebody had a birthday and there were cupcakes with Mickey mouse pin or, you know, little decorations uh-huh. and Minnie mouse decorations. And so the parent had asked the teacher already, how many boys, how many uh-huh. girls and had the appropriate amount. My child can still talk about it because they were like, but I just want a chocolate one. And, he, and I don't care. Like, I don't know what this Minnie Mouse, Mickey Mouse didn't have a word for it yet, uh-huh. but knew I'm neither Mickey nor Minnie. I'm just, I just want chocolate. I just want chocolate. Um, yeah. And um, that's but, a lifestyle choice for me. Right. Now I need a cupcake. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about diminish that. Diminish your story. But remembering that, you know, like being able to, like even remember it from back then. And yeah. frankly, you know, one of their toddler teachers was Nathaniel Flynn. Oh my so gosh. They did have some, and in fact, even as a teenager started talking about the trans um, care providers they had, especially there's another provider who was non, uh, non-binary and, you know, they used they for pronoun. That, you know, I said, yeah, you know, whatever explained mm-hmm. what I, 
thought non-binary was at the time, I'd be embarrassed to remember exactly what I said, but my child and me said, oh, that's like me. <laughs> that's how they came out was to describe mm-hmm. something yeah. from right. 10 years earlier or whatever, like right. kids remember. It. And so that, that caveat is if you act as if somebody mm-hmm. in your care might be in the same way that you don't know if, um, if there's, you know, a child who's um, gay or lesbian, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when they grow up, it'll be more obvious, you know, as mm-hmm. a five-year-old, you don't know, but if they don't think that that's even a possibility, right. Um, that's the thing that we can provide is that there's possibilities. We weren't, you know, and maybe none of your, the kids in your, that class um, are trans or yeah. are LGBT. Yeah. I mean, chances are at least one Somebody, of them. Yeah. <laughs> Statistics but, you know, are not enough. Of, but at the same time, if they meet another person, they're going to still be more open because, mm-hmm. oh, I remember, you know, my yeah. teacher was talking about that. Exactly. Um, so it also ups it up that way. I think that came up in the same episode, actually. Like, yeah, probably. But it yeah. still helps, even if it's not a kid in your class, you're teaching them to be more accepting of kids, and, of people they'll encounter. And also that there are safe adults. And there are safe adults. You know, they may yes. not be consciously thinking, oh, yes, Heather's a safe adult. But the, the cumulative experience of being mm-hmm. in the presence of a, an intentionally safe adult, mm-hmm. I think, um, is another sort of honor and heavy responsibility okay. that we have as early educators. And it occurs to me that this relates back to democracy. You know, if we right. value every member of our community, <laughs> right, even if 15 of those members are two and a half years old, right, if that's just, if that's the, the culture we create, in our classroom, um, then those moments are, are moved through so much easier. Well, they go hand in hand. Those moments are, are so much easier because we already have created a culture where everyone uh, counts. Um, but then also once we've had those conversations, it even uh, enriches the times when we all do need to decide something democratically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. So the moral of the story is read this book. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. And it's a quick read. Right. I was yeah, just going to yeah, say yeah. it's, we said it in the first episode too. It's not long and it's, yeah. it's fun to read in addition yeah. to being sort of really deep and powerful. There it is. And it's on magic paper. Like I, I was highlighting everything and I think, Oh, this whole thing's going to be bright yeah. yellow. And I went back yeah. and it's like, I could barely That's see a, it. a new trend in publishing. So I'll just say this to exchange to red leaf, my highlighting fades. <laughs> it's a real problem for me. <laughs> I think that you two are part of some highlighting Illuminati, like some <laughs> massive global highlighter corporation. Yeah. And you're just trying to. Yeah. And don't tell me to use blue instead of yellow because that's not going to happen. It's wow. only yellow highlighters for me and I don't want it to fade. Well, now that's a mental health issue. Very probably, but that doesn't change the fact that that's how I want it to be. Okay. <laughs> Yes, we want to be inclusive for those. That's right, Richard. That's true. Sorry. All right. All right. Any last things? This has been so good. I feel like. I think same thing of reading the book. You know, yeah. I, I could have taken a quote from any page. Probably yeah. In the book, and we could have had an hour long conversation. <laughs> exactly. That's what I kept thinking as I was reading. I was like, this could be like 17 podcasts, but we'll try to. We'll try but what I would also that. say to people is it's not the greatest book ever. Right. right. It, it, but it hits on a few 
points that made me want to talk to somebody else about them. Mm -hmm. It's really not about digesting his wisdom and you come away having learned new stuff. Yeah. For me, it was about, oh, these are some really good points that intrigue me. Gosh, I wish I could talk yeah. to somebody else and about it. He does so give almost some like definitions. opening a can of worms. <laughs> yes. So, but you know, a lot of a lot of childcare programs will do a book club yeah. um, with the teachers there. This is a great book to do at your childcare program, like for a, you know, like at our next staff meeting, we're all going to talk about this book because it's a really fast read, mm-hmm. but it hits on great conversation yeah. topics for a room full of early childhood educators. Yeah. yeah. But we'll leave you with questions too, I think, which is probably part of yeah. the purpose of it because, right. you know, we said in the last episode, it's part of that, of exchanges, reimagining our work series. And those books really tend to not be, um, you know, answers between the covers, but more here is a challenge to the way you've thought about doing your job, yeah. you know, and, and here's a new way of thinking mm-hmm. about things. But yeah. also there is, I mean, there is good information, but, but it's also well, a challenge. Also, yes. I would also add uh, for any like directors or anyone thinking about doing a book club at the very back of this book, there's a study guide. Mm-hmm. But if you're like uncomfortable facilitating this conversation with your staff, there's literally a study guide with topics and questions you could yeah. use. Mm-hmm. I'm already planning on using this book because we are adding toddler rooms. Um, after COVID, we had to close down a bunch uh, and suddenly we have these three rooms. So there's going to be all these new toddler teachers. And we were really like, we want toddler teachers who want to be toddler teachers so i want to be a toddler teacher <laughs> open a lafayette I think branch we still have one more opening uh, no, no i don't know that i'm moving at this point in my life no, but... you're academia now <laughs> i know but i already miss the kids um okay well thank you both and thanks to uh to nick for writing the book and exchange for giving us all copies of it so we could discuss it yes, thank um you. That's one of my favorite things about podcasting, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Like every book. Don't be honest. And you still spend a lot of money on books. And right? I still buy a lot of books. They're probably like, yeah, she's going to buy five for every one we give her. So go ahead and keep giving her books. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Mike. Thank um, you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Come back again for another episode. Bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.